0: You have goals. Reach them fast with IU Online's Accelerated Degree Programs. Our six- and eight-week courses are taught 100% online and can fit any schedule. Advance your career with a bachelor's in informatics. It only takes 10 minutes to apply. Earn an
1: Indiana University degree that's valued around the world. Get started today at IU Online. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at
0: any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hello, and welcome to Instant Genius, a bite-sized masterclass in podcast form. I'm Jason Goodger, Commissioning Editor at BBC Science Focus magazine. In this episode, I talked to Trust Me, I'm a Doctor's Dr. Giles Yo about his new book, Why Calories Don't Count. Okay, so your new book is Why Calories Don't Count. And uh, everyone's going to be, everyone listening, I'm sure they're aware and they've seen the labels on food packets and drinks, cartons, etc. Even on some uh, restaurant menus now about the nutritional value and the calorific con- content of food. But I think we'd really... First question we should be asking is, when we're talking about a calorie, what are we talking about? Because
1: it's not as
0: simple as it might seem at first, is it?
1: So, okay. So in terms of a calorie, a calorie is, uh, is the amount of energy it takes to raise one liter of water, one degree Celsius at sea level. That's a food calorie. There is a smaller calorie called a heat calorie. And and that is one thousandth of a food calorie. But the calories we hear about, and we talk, when I say the word calorie, one liter of water, one degree Celsius at sea level. And so that is what an actual, that that's what the calorie is. And so you might think, well, how, how can it not count given that it's a unit of energy? It should be exactly the, the, the same. And that's true to an extent, um, but it's they're all equal once you get them into your body as a little poof of energy, um, and and your body can actually use it. But our body has to work in order to extract calories from food. So we eat food, not calories, and then our body then works to take up to, to to extract the calories from the food.
0: So uh, in the book, you mention um, something that you call a calorific availability, and that is that is key when we're talking about um, calories in terms of nutrition. So. Could you just run through that idea for me, please?
1: Okay, so caloric availability is the amount of calories that we can actually uh, extract through the digestion and metabolism process um, compared to the total amount of calories actually stuck in a a food. So so I think the most obvious example that we might encounter on a day-to-day basis is if we eat sweet corn, so corn on the cob, um, and then the next morning we kind of peek in the loo and we see that we have not absorbed all the sweet corn, so so, so so, that's a situation where clearly because of the presence of fiber and any other number of things, we are not able to digest all the sweet corn. So that's caloric availability. So if you have 100 calories of sweet corn, you're not going to absorb 100, 100 calories. So that's the concept of caloric availability. What can our body take out of the food?
0: Yeah. So just moving on from that then, because this can get very complicated very quickly, can't it? So sort of very simply, how do we extract energy from food?
1: Okay, so there are two stages. I think the first stage is what most of us, well, I'd like to think most of us understand what it is, is digestion. And 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 so there are two elements to digestion. There's mechanical digestion, and that is the chewing bit and, and the little washing machine bit that the stomach makes called peristalsis. Okay, so it, it, physical agitation. Um, but the vast majority of digestion, which happens largely in the small intestine, um, is a very long chemical reaction, and so your, your your stomach and other parts of your body squirts enzymes into the in, into the intestine, which then begins to slowly break down food. So that's the first bit, okay? Because then the three macronutrients for those of you who have heard it: so protein will be broken down into amino acids, starches or carbohydrates will be broken down into sugars, or you can eat sugars obviously by itself, and um, and fat will be broken down into fatty acids. And so these cross across the, the, the intestinal wall, the gut wall, and into the blood. Now, people think that, well, that's it. That's our fuel. And it isn't, because those amino acids, fatty acids, and glucose, those sugars, are simply transportable units of nutrients. Then they're transported by the blood into your cell, or your liver, or, or some organ. And within the cell, or within the organ, those nutrients are then metabolized into the actual energy that we use so there are two steps digestion and then metabolism and each costs energy and we lose some of the calories at each of those two different stages
0: so then essentially what we can say then is even though as a, as a sort of raw unit of, of energy calorie is all the same but not every calorie that we consume as food
1: is equal that That's correct, so I'll give you the, the 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 one which makes the biggest difference, and that's going to be protein Now, a calorie of protein will make you feel fuller than a calorie of fat than a calorie of carbohydrate in that order, okay, even though it's a calorie. and there are any number of different reasons for that. The first is because protein is chemically the most complex to take apart in digestion and is also chemically the most complex to take apart in metabolism. Okay, it takes a lot of energy. So we now know that for every 100 calories of protein that you eat, you will only ever absorb on average 70 calories, which means that for every 100 calories of protein you eat, 30% of the calories are used to to deal with protein and 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 what you see on the back of the pack, therefore, just on the protein calories in of itself, is going to be thirty percent off, thirty percent wrong, um, you you know, just just because of that. When it comes to the,
0: these these labels, like you just said there, so this has got a really interesting history, hasn't it? Um, going back to you know, say a century plus, a century
1: plus, uh, uh, so the labels, so what you see on the side of the label all the calorie counts that we see are based on numbers generated by a chap named Wilbur, Professor Wilbur Olin Atwater, who was a professor of chemistry um, from Wesleyan University in Connecticut in the United States. And it was work that he did actually between 1880 and 1900. So yes, so so more than starting 140 years ago to 120 years ago. And so what Atwater realized was he realized the sweet corn effect, okay? So he was saying, "Mm, well, how much, uh, uh, you know, how much calories do humans actually absorb? So what he did was he measured the total amount of calories in food. Now, how do you do that? You do that even today using something called bomb calorimetry. And that's a situation where you burn food in a sealed container. And because, as I said, a calorie is the amount of energy it takes to raise one liter of water one degree Celsius, if you have a known volume of water surrounding this sealed container and put simply put a thermometer into the, into the water bath, then the temperature rise in the water equals the total number of calories in the food. This is called bomb calorimetry. So what Atwater did was he measured the, the caloric content of thousands of different kinds of food, like over 20 years, okay? All the foods you can think of. He then, and this is the bit, by the way, think about this before you complain about your job again. So he then fed these foods to human beings, okay? And then burnt their poop, okay? So in other words, what is, so what came out the other side? For 20 years, he did this. He then subtracted what they ate from what they pooped out. And that was the amount of calories they absorbed. And based on that, he came up with the so-called Atwater factors, which is nine calories for every gram of fat, four calories for every gram of protein, four calories for carbs. And every single calorie count you see on the side of the packet is based on this. There is, and now when you listen to this, you go check. Uh, there is a little bit of wobble, uh, wiggle, w- wobble, because of the way people calculate how much protein there is in the food. But it's going to be plus or minus a few percentage points from 944. Those are the at-water factors, which are over 120 years old, and we are still using today.
0: So then sort of following on from that chronologically a bit a bit after this the the idea of controlling your uh weight or your diet by counting calories emerged and became popular
1: that's right and this came from a um a doctor and she was unusual in a number of different ways but the most unusual element of it was that she was a a medical partic- practitioner an actual physician a doctor around the time of World War I. Now, this was only 10 years or so since women were allowed to be doctors uh, at all. So her name was Lulu Hunt Peters. She was a, shall we say, larger lady um, who was concerned about her weight, but she was scientifically trained and she came across the work of Atwater. And so she thought, wow, Okay, and, and and she understood physics, and she says, "Well, how do I get myself to eat less?" Rather than imagining what I'm going to eat less, she d- began to try and devise how much less she needed to eat. And so she 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 was a syndicated columnist, so she was a medic and a syndicated syndicated columnist, in which she was just talking about this. And she eventually wrapped the whole thing up into a book, where in effect she gave actionable information. She says, "Well, here is a hundred calories worth of sausage, worth of bacon, worth of bread, whatever," and so people this was, the book was targeted towards, I have to say, white middle-class women at the time around World War I. Um, and and this is how much you would need to eat if you are larger than you were and needed to be. And so you could count the calories then to lose the weight. And she was the first calorie counter. Um, fascinating woman. The book was Lulu Hunt Peters, fantastic read, still available on all the on, on various online bookshops. Um, very funny. and But she, in effect, raised the idea of, when you talk about calories, you talk about food. She started the weaponization of the calorie.
0: So you you said there that she was perhaps a slightly larger lady
1: and um, she actually followed her own advice. She did. Successfully. She did. So she was, I mean, when I mean a larger lady, I think she was something close to 200 and... 10 pounds or something like that. Okay, so a large lady, right? Because I'm 175 pounds, for, 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 for example. And she managed to drop more than 50 pounds. She dropped herself to about 160 pounds, 100 and something. So I don't think she ever became... I'm skinny, but that's you know we're all different sizes. Uh, but yeah, she she followed her calorie counting regime, and this is what she wrote about, right? In 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 her book, and yeah, she ended up losing 50, 50 pounds in weight. So how well how popular did, was was her book when it was printed? It was a bestseller for nearly five years in a row. So so it was a weird time in the world. It was just coming to the end of World War One, and what happened was as she um she wrote the book, she kind of pushed pushed it out. She then traveled to the Balkans. Um, to work for the Red Cross, okay, in, in, in military, looking after, looking after patients. And she was there for five years doing the recovery post World War I. And when she came back, um, she had found that her book was on, you know, certainly very, very close, if not at the top of the New York Times bestseller for five years for a very, very long time. And so millions of copies, millions of copies at a time when the diet industry was, she was probably the beginning, I would argue, of the diet industry. So um,
0: you mentioned that she had a list of 100 foods, say, with the proportion to 100 calories portion of a tomato is this and that. But if if we break that down, you know, are, if we got worse calories in a donut, better calories in a carrot, you know, how does that break down? So are all foods
1: equal? They're not. And they're not because, look, uh, 200 calories of chips. Is clearly twice the portion of 100 calories of chips. Okay, so clearly that I'm not saying any anything else. But so is 200 grams of chips weighing more than, twice more than 100 grams of chips. Now, we would never in our life, I would like to think, say that, well, I've had 100 grams of chips and I'm gonna compare it to 100 grams of carrots. Right Because they come in different densities, they're different things what What can you actually do with it now, the calorie is only ever so slightly better than the gram of food, but it's the same analogy because your body has to work to differing amounts you're, it's c- comparing calories across different foods doesn't make a lot of doesn't make a lot of sense um because we eat the food and not and not the calories so one thing that um people
0: often say as well is um what's the difference between eating uh, raw food and cooked food in the way that you can absorb
1: the, uh, the the energy, the calories from it. So what cooking does is an extension of your digest. Well, quick cooking clearly also killed parasites and things. All right, and probably made it more palatable. But critically, cooking was an extension of your digestive system. It began the digestive process, but outside. Okay, and so I think people were saying that the whole con- when humans. Um, whichever Homo, uh, 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 you know, sp- species first controlled fire, and they then began to put a proto potato and a piece of venison into the fire. A, it tasted better and smelled pretty good. They were then able to extract more calories for exactly the same amount of work. So all the work they went into to tracking down the antelope and pulling it down and digging up the potato suddenly, because of cooking it, and and it. It did some of the digestion for them, they were able to get more energy from the foods. And actually, that was one of the drivers of getting the human brains um, um, bigger and being able to begin to think. Let's put it this way. It's pretty difficult to contemplate the cosmos if you're hungry. So so, so, so once you actually are less hungry, you're able to think about other things such as quantum physics.
0: So sort of moving on then to uh, how we use this energy. So there's one, um, one uh, section of the book in which you say... Um, it takes less than 100 calories to boil one liter of water.
1: That's it, <laughs> because one liter, one Celsius sea level. So actually, and if you go down and, and fill your kettle, a liter is about average. We might we might fill up a kettle and what well, takes 90 seconds. It only takes 100 calories. 100 calories is one, roughly speaking, one chicken, one chicken's egg. So there's only five and a half liters of blood in us, roughly speaking. Um, and we eat two to three thousand calories of food a day. So how come we're not boiling? And 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 the reason is because that we now if we took the food, all the food we ate, and stuck it into a bomb calorimeter, okay, desiccated it, pressurized it, and burnt it, it would boil, right? Twenty liters of water or what or, or whatever. But because our body takes the food into individual nutrients and then breaks them down into little little units of energy it used to make. ATP, actually, these little these little units of energy. The ATP becomes ADP, poof, energy. Then it, be, it recycles. So, so it uses it in little uh, transportable little compartments of energy. It parcels the energy out, which is why we don't end up going up like a Roman candle.
0: So, obviously, um, we've established already pretty quickly that there's some flaws with this uh, calorie, at least with the labeling system. So, what's it enabled it to
1: persist for so long? Do you think? That's a very good question, because um, just to be clear, what I talk about in this book, I didn't invent, right? It's not like I sat there and I worked it out. I looked at the literature, I looked at it, and it was all there. In fact, some guy called Livesey in 2001 tried saying this in a, he, he was a part of a nutritional think tank, uh, I think from Norfolk, of all places. I didn't realize there were think tanks in Norfolk, but there are. So, so anyway, so he, no, I don't want to be rude about Norfolk. So, so anyway, so he suggested this very thing, talking about net metabolizable energy. So talking about the exact process I'm talking about, you have digestion, then you have metabolism and what you actually end up using. And he was ignored. He was completely ignored. By the very nature that we're here chatting about this, and when I tell people about this, um, people have no idea that that this occurs. Now, when you speak, let me tell you who knew. Okay, the people that know, oddly enough, are the farmers. So, in particular, the ones that raise livestock. Because the original concept of the calorie and food was actually designed for farmers to try and... Optimize the amount of feed that we're going to give to cattle or sheep or, 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 or chickens to maximize the production of meat. Because look, this is this is after all their their livelihood, and so the farmer would be able to tell you chapter and verse about this. Whereas all the rest of us, okay, uh, are eating the food, are just not able to. So the answer is, I don't know. I think they were it was ignored. Is it because it's a pain in the backside to to, to relabel? I don't know. But um. It's, it's, it's been ignored. And it's, it's, um,
0: it's pretty much worldwide, isn't it, the, uh, this calorie labelling system? I've, I've definitely seen it in other
1: countries. Yep, exactly. The, the, the labelling, um, certainly in prepackaged food, and um, given that it's multinational conglomerates making these foods, all of the calorie counts will be based on exactly what we talked about, 944.
0: So then just sort of to going back to actually expending energy, so that this is um, sort of goes hand in hand with diet, you know, physical activity and exercise so are some people just naturally better at burning calories they burn them all you often hear people say oh i've got a slow metabolism i just have to look at a slice of pizza and i'll put a stone on other people they can eat burgers chips whatever they want and they never seem to put any weight
1: you know is there any truth to that okay so actually um the 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 biggest effect on your energy expenditure on your metabolism it's going to be your body size. The larger you are, the more energy you'll burn. And people go, "No, that's not true." That I thought I thought the big people who are bigger have lower have lower um, uh, metabolisms. No, it's not. So so just the analogy is that a little Mini Cooper, small tiny car, will always have a lower fuel consumption than a big SUV. Okay, so the, 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 the small car might look zippy and, and going around, but they'll always use less energy. That being said. Yes, there are going to be people who are more efficient or less efficient in dealing with calories than, than other people. The difference is just not as great as some people might, might might imagine. But yes, it is true that some people eating exactly the same amount of food will gain all, or 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 will gain more weight or less weight um, um, than me. But the effect of food intake, putting it at the top hand, the, 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 the top end over here will always surpass the differences between you and me, for example, in our um, ability to partition nutrients is the, is the terminology, burn or store.
0: So you are talking about um, size there. What role does body composition play, like um, somebody's muscle mass or, the, or their body fat percentage?
1: So all bar- parts of your body, bar your things like your fingernails, Okay, so all parts of your body that are alive, Will have will need metabolism because it needs energy in order to survive, but depending on their role, they are more metabolically active than others. Now, fat is not simply cushioning which you sit on. Okay, it is an endocrine organ. It does release. It does actually release um, um, hormones and things. So it does have obviously have metabolism, but muscles, for example and the liver so these are very very highly metabolically active tissues because your muscles move you and your liver is detoxifying your blood all the time so these will use more calories so for for a given for a person of a, exactly the same weight between uh, um say a, a sumo wrestler or a rugby player okay this is where bmi falls down so so where you have a sumo wrestler or rugby player who is i don't know 150 kilos, or, or, or whatever. Whereas they're going to be a lot of muscle. Whereas if you take 150 kilo Joe Schmo, that is far less muscle and far more fat, then uh, the the big rugby player is going to have to eat a lot more, um even ca- not counting the exercise, because they have more muscle mass. They definitely will have a higher metabolism.
0: So, sort of following on from that, um, another another common thing that you often hear people say is, um, you know, they, they've made a New Year's resolution. They're going to go, uh, let's say, running three times a week uh, in order to lose a few pounds. Um, and they start doing it, uh, but they don't lose any weight. What well, what's going on there?
1: What, where are they going wrong? So I, I think what is known now is that exercise per se is not a particularly useful tool for weight loss. Now, this is, then you might think, well, how can that be the case? Because it's physics, right? In, out. And so the Tour de France has just has just finished, probably just, just at the end of last week or something. And um, these guys have to eat 5,000 calories a day for three weeks in order to complete the race, but yet they lose weight. Okay? So clearly, if you exercise enough, you will lose weight. The problem is for mere mortals, and for the vast majority of human society, bar professional athletes and, and Olympians and things, we don't exercise enough to lose to 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 lose weight. Because when you exercise, two things happen: you become hungry, <laughs> and so you actually you actually and actually our ability to calculate, even with these Fitbitty, Garminy, you know, activity trackers, telling you how many calories you burnt, you know, they're notoriously in, 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 inaccurate. That being said, okay. First of all, even if you don't lose a single ounce of weight when you exercise, exercise is fabulous for you. You have to do as much of it as possible, even if you don't lose any weight. Uh, but, but second of all, while it's not good for weight loss, it is actually particularly good for helping you maintain your weight. So, in other words, once you've lost your weight because you've reduced your your your, your food intake, and say you got to a, a weight that you know now, I've I've lost X amounts of kilos. Um, at being slightly more physically active helps you maintain that weight loss
0: how about this idea that you often hear of of, of the um, the fat burning zone so if you're uh, on your bike or you're running or on an exercise bike or something a certain say at a certain heart rate percentage of your max then you'll you'll be operating in different zones is there any truth to that
1: you are burning as much fat as you possibly can all of the time. So that's so, so that that's the thing because let's put it this way in terms of just putting some numbers down. The average human being depending on how much fat they carry will co- will contain anywhere contain carry anywhere between 50 to 150,000 calories of fat. Okay? 9 calories for every a uh, 9 gram 9 calories for every gram of fat. Whereas and probably around 2,500 calories in carbohydrates, glycogen and in glucose in the blood. Protein it's not a store, it's it's, it's all functional. So we are largely, in terms of our energy store, fat. And so we will burn as much fat as we can. The problem is that once we get to a higher intensity, okay, we cannot convert fat into energy quick enough without the help of carbs. So if we're doing low-intensity training, such as not even training, if we're just living, so here, having this conversation with you, we are burning largely fat. But the moment we start to walk, we start to run, we start to climb a mountain, we start to do anything, then our we start to burn carbohydrates because that's very very easy to burn. But people don't know this. But actually, but together, if you actually put carbohydrates and fat burning together, it helps burn fat quicker. So, so there is some truth in saying that at a lower heart rate, you're burning more fat. Um, but we're burning fat all the time.
0: Okay, and, uh, and another like. Uh, personal anecdote which i really liked um because it's happened to me before although not on quite as extreme a level as it did you was when you were cycling and um you you skipped the food stop and then just completely you know you crash
1: out. not 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 crash but 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 you go oh and isn't that i and, and i look down and listen i've got a bit of a wobbly belly and i'm going do so does the energy use it use the energy <laughs> But that's not how, but it's, it's about, I spoke to someone, an expert about this. And at the end of the day, it's the energy there, but fat, because it's very densely packed together. This is why it's our long-term energy stores. Our body just takes a little bit more time to extract the energy from fat. It will happen. But in the meantime, we're feeling ravenous. You, you, you know, even sadly, even though we're still got a lot of fat on us.
0: So just sort of by way of closing this, this calorie section off then. So what what's the maximum benefit I can get? What's the most sensible scientific way I can approach
1: uh, calories and calorie food labeling? That's a very good question. I don't know if I have the correct answer. Um, I feel that in this book, I am bringing up a problem. So, So my goal, and we need to understand the problem before we can solve the problem. My goal in writing this book was not to change the nutritional labeling system per se. Um, but what I realized as I was writing and thinking about, about this is that when we look at foods that are lower in caloric availability, meaning our body has to work harder, they have a couple of different characteristics. They're always going to be higher in protein and or fiber, depending on the type of food we're actually looking at. And so if we actually look at the quality of our food that we're eating, the diet, okay, and if we are eating something that has slightly more protein and and a lot more fiber, we're actually, in shorthand talking about a pretty good proxy for healthy food, right, or healthier food at, 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 at that any rate. And so I think this caloric availability concept allows you to take prepackaged food, you, rec- you can recalculate you know, using 70% of protein, et cetera, et cetera, um, and actually understand the quality of the food because you're looking at the protein and the fiber. And I think that's the most important thing. I- I'd like us to we worship the calorie as a society. I'd like us to think less about the calories, but more about the quality of the food that we're actually um, eating, which we do need to improve.
0: So that like, brings me nicely on to just to close that off then and just say that um, I really liked your, the phrase that you had, if you focus on health, your weight will take care of itself.
1: Yes, I mean, people think that that's not true. I want to look like uh, uh, Brad Pitt. I do want to look like Brad Pitt, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that people equate health and beauty. Which is not necessarily true, all right? This is, this, this is the thing. Um, whereas how much weight does Mrs. Smith need to lose in order to become metabolically more healthy? A lot less weight than she imagines. How much weight does she need to look to, to lose to look like Angelina Jolie? That's a very different uh, uh, number. So I think we need to think more about our health rather than necessary beauty uh, uh, and, and the weight in of itself. It's diff- easier said than done, but there we go.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Instant Genius. That was Dr. Charles Yeo. If you'd like to know more about the science of nutrition, check out his book, Why Calories Don't Count. Or to hear him tell me more, head over to the Instant Genius Extra podcast. The summer issue of BBC Science Focus magazine is out now. Pick up a copy in store or visit sciencefocus.com.